0: With All Wisdom, where we are applying biblical truth to everyday life. My name is Derek Brown, and I am here today with Cliff McManus. We are both pastors and elders at Creekside Bible Church in Cupertino, California, and professors at the Cornerstone Bible College and Seminary in Vallejo, California, and today we are on part two of what Christians should think about Mormonism, but before I get to our topic for today, I want to draw your attention to withallwisdom.org, where you'll find a large and growing collection of resources on various theological, cultural, and practical topics that are all rooted in God's Word and aimed to help you make genuine progress in your walk with the Lord. On to our topic today we want to talk about basic Mormon theology. The last episode if you want to check that out that's episode number 39. That was just a basic overview of about how evangelicals at large are in, currently engaging with Mormonism, Mormon theology. Now we want to examine the theology itself, contrast that with scripture and see where the there are very clear differences between Mormon theology and Christian theology. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Cliff, how would you like to start us off as we talk about compare and contrasting Mormon theology and Christian theology? Yeah, in the last episode,
1: we just tried to scratch the surface on what's the state of the union today in 2022 on how the evangelical world or community is interacting with Mormonism or how they perceive Mormons and That has drastically changed, like Mm -hmm. we said, since the 1970s and 80s. A lot of reasons for that, one of which was this landmark book from 1997, How Wide the Divide, and and other uh, books that followed suit. Uh, So things have drastically changed. This section, I wanted to now transition into the origin of Mormonism, a little bit of its history, and also its theology, some of their main theology. And then we can contrast it with what the Bible says as uh, people out there are trying, on both sides actually trying to downplay the differences between true historic biblical Christianity mm-hmm. and Mormonism, which is very dangerous. So yeah. we're trying to uh, draw a line of clear demarcation between the two, uh, true one the true faith of the Bible, Christianity, and another a, a false religion, pseudo-Christianity, if you will. Uh, so just starting with the history of Mormonism, I'm actually – I used to live in Utah, lived there for a couple of years, um, and I was a pastor at a little church there. And I, My landlady there, I was renting a house. She was a Mormon, and all of her family and descendants were Mormons. She was probably 70, almost 80 years old, and she agreed to rent the house to me and my wife and our two kids. And she knew I was not a Mormon. She knew I was a Baptist pastor, and so she always called me. Anytime she saw me about once a month, she'd call me a Gentile. Gentile. That means you're you're not a Mormon. So that's how they – That's how they – yes. You're either a Mormon or you're a Gentile. Yeah. So if yeah. you're not a Mormon, you're a Gentile. It. So it was a slur basically <laughs> and she had no problem calling me that to remind me that I wasn't part of the one true church and that I could not reach a state of exaltation because mm-hmm. I was not a Mormon. So that was her view. But anyway, that was uh, when I was living in Utah there and I got to know a lot of Mormons and so that was back in the 90s. So I became familiar with it. So I just want to share a little bit of its history, and then we could talk about its theology. And then, uh, Derek, you can chime in, too, on how their theology is so different from biblical theology. But just with respect to uh, Mormon history, I want to share a couple – oh, what I was going to say is – so I lived in Utah, and now uh, coming up real soon, I'm going to actually lead a eight-day short-term missions trip to Utah with some folks in our church. And we'll spend about a week interacting on the BYU campus, talking to Mormons. Uh, and other folks, maybe some street evangelism. And what I have quickly learned in training my well-educated team from my church here in preparation for that is, for the most part, the majority of them don't know anything about Mormonism. Mm -hmm. So that surprised me. It alarmed me. So now we're preparing them and letting them become familiar with Mormonism. Most of it is new information to them. They had no idea. So that's kind of scary Mm -hmm. because when you're ignorant about something, you can't really be ready and prepared to defend against something. Right. So that ignorance needs to be exposed with the truth. So a little bit about Joseph Smith. Uh, Mormonism was a religion that started in the early 1800s with a guy named Joseph Smith Jr. And according to their own so-called holy scripture, I'm holding here uh, this one book, and it has the three standard works in it called The Book of Mormon, The Doctrine and Covenants, and The Pearl of Great Price. This is endorsed by the Mormon church. And in this book, in the introduction, here's a little summary from their point of view of how their church started. Uh, They say that Joseph Smith, Jr. was born December 23rd in 1805 in Vermont. Then as a young child moved to New York, and as a 14-year-old in the spring of 1820, 14-year-old in New York, he claims that God the Father, God the Eternal Father, visited him in person. Hmm. along with the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is called the first vision of Mormonism. So Joseph Smith, uh, he was he grew up in Protestant denominations, mm-hmm. but he's out there in the woods or wherever he is in New York. And at age 14, supposedly God the Father appears to him in a body along with Jesus. And, quote, when God the Father appeared to him uh, along with Jesus Christ, supposedly they said to Joseph Smith, the 14-year-old, quote, Uh, He was told in this vision that the true church of Jesus Christ that had been established in New Testament times and which had administered the fullness of the gospel was no longer on the earth. Mm -hmm. So God the Father told Joseph Smith in 1820,
0: the true church of Jesus Christ no longer exists.
1: Comment on that, Derek?
0: Well, you have a few problems with that first is a biblical problem. Jesus said that he would build this church and the gates of Hades would never prevail over it. So that the church somehow got extinguished contradicts what Jesus said about the church that it would he would it would prevail and it would continue. So you have a problem there. And then any knowledge of church history tells us that the church it through its uh, though it has foibles here and there has continued. The gospel has been preserved throughout the ages, and the, the church has continued uh, throughout the ages and up to that point. And in fact, during that time, up to that point, there had been, uh, just prior to that, a few decades prior to that, you'd had the Great Awakening and some of our favorite preachers and teachers during that time teaching and preaching and writing, and so there's there's plenty of Christianity happening. Um, so just two things there, the Jesus' point in the New Testament and then the church, church history. Tells us that Joseph Smith's so-called revelation was entirely false. Yes. So the Bible itself, mm-hmm. Jesus, and the historical
1: record yeah. clearly show the church never died out, fizzled out, petered right. out. Right. That, in a way that uh, Joseph Smith claims. Right. right. Exactly. That is just right there. That that's very revealing. Jesus telling his disciples, "The gates of hell and death will never over." Coming. Right. The the church will continue on in perpetuity until I return
0: again. Yeah. And Joseph Smith says, Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> I mean that should that should have ended the conversation Seriously. right there. Joseph
1: Smith, the 14-year-old ignoramus, right. or Jesus Christ Lord Almighty? Right. Who are you gonna believe? Right. And that's not overstating the case. So that's a great observation there that you just made. Um so he goes on here in their own book, uh, that the church no longer exists. And so since the, the true church of Jesus Christ died out. What needed to happen is there a new, the church needs to be restarted again, mm-hmm. reignited with the proper authority. Mm-hmm. So in the next paragraph here, it says, In the course of time, Joseph Smith, the teenager, was enabled by divine assistance to translate and publish the Book of Mormon from supposed Egyptian hieroglyphics. In the meantime, he and some other guy uh, all over Calgary were ordained to the Aaronic priesthood at age 24, 23, and guess who ordained them? John the Baptist. Ah, Yeah, John the Baptist came back from the dead and ordained Joseph Smith, the 23-year-old, uh, to the ministry hmm. of the Aaronic Priesthood. And then shortly after that, he was ordained to the Melchizedek Priesthood. Oh. Yes, and guess by who ordained him? Uh, the ancient apostles Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John came back from heaven, laid their hands on Joseph 23-year-old, or 24, however old he was, to ordain him to the Melchizedek priesthood. So now he has the Aaronic priesthood. He has the Melchizedek priesthood. And he got ordained at least one more time, uh, which was followed by another ordination in 18 – oh, by Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. Mm. They ordained him as well, giving him the priestly keys that he needed for even more authority. And then it says, and many other ancient prophets. Also ordained him. And what this did is this gave him all the authority of heaven so that he could restart the church or start a new church, Mm. the Mormon church. And so that's why it says in the next sentence, these ordinations were in fact a restoration of divine authority to man on the earth. And on April 6th, 1830, under heavenly direction, the prophet Joseph Smith Jr. organized the church, capital C, and thus the true church of Jesus Christ is once again operative as an institution among men.
0: That is absolutely incredible. The fact that, what it indicates is that just that this was embraced um, early on, indicates that people that were embracing it had a a woeful ignorance of Scripture, which teaches that uh, at, at basic the Arianic priesthood is over and done with, because that was part of the Old Covenant that has been fulfilled in Christ, and that there's only one person who is part of the uh, Melchizedekian priesthood, and that's Jesus himself. Yes. And that is in fulfillment of the Old Covenant, which has been now set aside. And so just that basic knowledge of the Old Testament and the book of Hebrews would have given people great pause as to these so-called revelations.
1: Yeah, so you've got complete, absolute, abject biblical ignorance going on here on the part of not just Joseph Smith, but the people who bought into this. Right, exactly. Right? And then, uh, yeah, complete total ignorance of the Bible, but also I think in the spirit of the age during that time in New York and in the United States in that area where there was a great uh, religious zeal and fervor – And like Timothy talks about, where there was a religious zeal, but it wasn't according to knowledge. Yeah, it's it's like in a vacuum, and they don't know the Bible. So they're you know you're falling for everything like a child tossed to and fro. Mm -hmm. And we know from uh, United States history, there was all kinds of snake oil uh, counterfeits going around, selling this, selling that, false
0: religion. Yeah, Uh, and Joseph Smith was just one. Yeah, that's a really good point. In in terms of it fit within the social and. Historical cultural context that he could gain the a hearing, so that that's an interesting point.
1: Yeah, and he does this as a a teenager and actually in his early twenties. So he's very mm-hmm. persuasive, and we know historically that he was a very charismatic, yeah. persuasive personality. Yeah. So yeah. he did have a natural aptitude and giftedness to pull this off, and a lot of creativity and uh, probably some satanic um, help on his side sure. from behind the scenes in the angel or the yeah the angelic realm, demonic yeah.
0: realm, demonic realm, yeah.
1: Uh, counterfeiting as truth, and people were falling sway to this. And then – so mm-hmm. over time, then he ends up writing his own so-called uh, scripture. Um, and like you said in the last program, you were right. The assessment early on of Mormonism and especially of Joseph Smith early on, he was critical of the Bible at the time. In his day in the 1830s, eighteen forty, the only Bible they really had in English was the King James yeah, Bible. That right. was it. Right, uh, And he was familiar with the King James Bible, although he wasn't very educated. Uh, in a formal sense. So he knew here and there, but he didn't know the Bible in context. He didn't know the whole Bible. That's mm-hmm. why he mm-hmm. made a lot of major blunders. But he was familiar with the King James Bible, uh, and he he used that to plagiarize and make up the Book of Mormon. And then he came up – as time went on and his religion began to grow in his following, and he began to amass disciples and assistance to himself, then he started making other scriptures to add to mm. uh, the King James Bible and then the Book of Mormon, and then he came up with what was called the Doctrine and Covenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of their standard works, and so these are supposedly over one hundred and thirty different prophecies that he got from Jesus, right? And he wrote these down. Many of these are very controversial, and actually, when you think of Mormon theology, this is a lot of this is where they come from—the doctrines and covenants, mm-hmm. the weird stuff. So, I want to read some of these to you from their own standard work, and just you comment on them, Derek, because this is this is to this day standard approved Mormon doctrine. So, this one is from uh, this is supposedly a vision where Jesus appeared to Joseph Smith. Um, in Illinois, April 2nd, 1843, he writes the Doctrines and Covenants in King James English because that's all he knew, so he mimics it. And in section 130 of Doctrines and Covenants, verse 12, it uh, says this, I prophesy in the name of the Lord God that the commencement of the difficulties which will cause much bloodshed previous to the coming of the Son of Man will be in South Carolina. I'm reading this one because it's a weird one that nobody talks about. And mm-hmm. what he's doing, he's predicting that the Great Tribulation is going to be in South Carolina. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of people haven't ever heard that one before. <laughs> I haven't heard that anyway, one. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, for the record, the Tribulation didn't happen in South right. Carolina. So he was wrong. So right. already he's a false prophet. Even though it's really hot and humid there, that's not yeah. what's happening. good point. In that same chapter, uh, here's his doctrine of God. And he says in verse 22 of section 130, The Father, he's talking about God the Father, has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. Hmm. God the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. Comment on that, Derek?
0: Yeah, it's just basic Christian theology that God the Father has always been eternally a spirit, and he will forever be a spirit. It was the Son who became incarnate and took on a human nature. But the Father never did and never will and never has, and so it has always been historically – Christians' understanding, the church's understanding that the Father has never had a physical body, but has always been a spirit. And so, that is a direct contradiction to Scripture. You could point to John chapter 4, verse 24, and other texts that clearly affirm that the Father is a spirit, and then you look at the history of uh, Christian teaching, and that has been affirmed as just a foundational piece of Christian theology, and it is in direct opposition to Joseph Smith's statement there. No, that's a
1: good point. And in How Wide the Divide, uh, Stephen Robinson, again, one of the most well-known apologists of the Mormon faith and one of the most respected theologians of the Mormon faith, he he died. But when he wrote this book, How Wide the Divide, he talks about this uh, and he says that the Bible, our regular Bible, is ambiguous on the idea whether God the Father has a body or not, Yeah, which is not true. No. You just cited a verse in... The Gospel of John, John chapter 4, Jesus said point blank that uh, the Father is spirit. Yeah. God the Father is a spirit. And then Luke 24, Jesus said a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Yeah. So we even define what a spirit is. Yeah. God the Father is a spirit. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. Joseph Smith, you are wrong. Right. Uh, That is heretical. Yeah. Um, Okay. Here, this is from Doctrine and Covenants uh, 132. This was supposedly a prophecy Joseph Smith got in 1843 on July 12th in Illinois from Jesus, and Joseph Smith supposedly was uh, told that someday he can be exalted, he can become a god, and you too can become a god if you do it the Mormon way. And verse 20 of Doctrine and Covenants 132 says this, Then shall they, those who obey, follow the rules, do what Joseph Smith says, do the ordinances, Uh, imbibe his theology, at some point in the future then, then shall they be gods, plural, because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods, because they have all power, and all the angels are subject Unto them, that's one verse. That's verse twenty. Wow. Two times they shall be gods. So
0: the promise here is that you can become a god, Derek. It's it's interesting because uh, one of the first promises that Satan made was, or in, in implied rather, was the that when he was tempting Adam and Eve that they could become like God, and here you have that played out in Joseph Smith's doctrine here, promising deity to human beings and promising them the authority and the power that only God can have. And so, it's It's interesting to see the how when Satan is tempting our f- first human beings, Adam and Eve, he tempts them this way, and now you have Joseph Smith using that same kind of temptation, you could say, to create a, a theology of of deity for for humans, and again, it's just it's just contradictory to scripture. Uh, Christian theology teaches that there is a clear distinction between between God and what He has created. We are humans, and humans can never uh, attain to deity. There will always be an infinite divide between uh, God's being and our being, and we are always fully dependent upon Him. We will someday be glorified, but that does not mean that we are gods or and have any. Uh, near the ontology that God has. There is a clear line of demarcation between God's being and our being. And that has always been another foundational piece to Christian theology. Yeah. S- Stephen
1: Robinson, the Mormon theologian, he refers to, I think, mangles or distorts uh, Peter where Peter says, we will, we are partakers of the divine nature. Oh, sure, right. We are partakers of the divine nature. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, he says, oh, and you can be like Christ and we're being conformed in the image sure. of Christ. Sure, sure. Therefore, Jesus is God, we can become like Christ,
0: therefore we can become a God. That's his argument. What do you say to that? Well, you have to remember that Christ is both fully God and fully man, and we're becoming like Christ in his uh, perfect manhood, but not in his deity. And that is is kept very clear throughout the New Testament, that there is a – he is the great I am, and we are mere creatures. He is the creator. We are creatures. And so in terms of becoming like Christ, we're becoming like him in his human nature which is totally right and good. And partaking in the divine nature does not mean that we are becoming gods, but that we are becoming more and more like Christ in his human nature and that we are going to be glorified and be made perfect so there'll be no more sin. Uh, we won't be sinning anymore, but it certainly does not mean that we take on a divine ontology or become like God in, in our being. Yes, we'll, we will remain finite creatures. Yes,
1: finite creatures, yeah. Uh, ontology, that's a key word there terms of our very essence and nature, mm-hmm. we'll never cross over into godhood. Right. Uh, one more. This is Doctrine and Covenants one thirty. Boy, 132 of Doctrine and Covenants is a doozy because it's got all this stuff in it. Going later on in the chapter of Doctrine and Covenants 132. This is the doctrine of polygamy. So let me just read, Derek, this little excerpt here for you that establishes the Mormon doctrine of polygamy where supposedly Jesus said to Joseph Smith, Doctrine and Covenants 132. Starting in verse 32, Go ye therefore and do the works of Abraham. Enter ye into my law, says God, and ye shall be saved. So do the following and you will be saved. Right. Supposedly. Well, what is that? What's he supposed to do to get saved? Verse 34, God commanded Abraham and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do it? Because this was the law. And from Hagar sprang many people. This, therefore, was fulfilling, among other things, the promises. Verse 37, Abraham received concubines. Concubines, that means many women. Mm -hmm. Abraham received from God. Abraham received many concubines, and they bore him children. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness, because they were given unto him, and he abode in my law, says God. So according to Doctrine and Covenants… Basically, Abraham was counted righteousness for being a polygamist. Right.
0: That that would border on blasphemy, and that is so outrageous. It is outrageous when he's clearly – it says in Genesis 15, and then Paul reiterates in Romans 4 that Abraham is justified because he believed God, full stop.
1: Yeah, the doctrine of justification. And here Joseph Smith
0: turns it on its ear and says,
1: you're saved by becoming a polygamist. Right. And – He's also saying that God commanded Sarah to give Hagar to mm-hmm. Abraham, which is not what the Bible says at, not all. at all. Yeah. Then uh, Joseph Smith goes on, verse thirty-eight, to uh, further uh, promote his doctrine of polygamy. Did I say that probably at this time he had over forty wives? Is that what Joseph Smith suggests? Yeah, we know from... Or church. no, Joseph Smith had 40 wives. Yeah, Joseph, sorry, Joseph Smith had 40 wives when he's probably writing this. So he's got to justify it right. because he's, he's uh, later on in his so-called ministry... He's been having multitudinous wives. He's Mm -hmm. cheating on on the left and the right and all over the place. He can't hide it anymore. People Mm -hmm. are trying to cover for him. It's Mm -hmm. been exposed. And so he comes up with the idea, oh, okay, I'll just say that I got a revelation from God that polygamy is okay. As a matter of fact, you got to practice polygamy to become a god. And so that's what he does. And that's what this is. And so he finds polygamy in the Bible, which is true. Polygamy is in the Bible. As a matter of fact, believers practice polygamy. Mm -hmm. And he mentions them. Abraham had more than one wife Mm -hmm. or cheated on his wife. That's true. Mm Uh, as did David, had at least nine different wives. Solomon had a thousand women in his life, and that's who Joseph Smith is referring to here. He goes on in verse 38, David also received many wives and concubines, and also Solomon and Moses, Mm -hmm. my servants, Mm -hmm. says God, as also many others of my servants, from the beginning of creation until this time, and in nothing did they sin. So uh, supposedly this polygamy wasn't a sin, it wasn't a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it was a good and
0: holy thing, and it's what you need to do to become a god. Wow. That's just such an outrageous reading of this the whole Bible, really. I mean, polygamy was something that God allowed in certain cases, but never did he approve it. In fact, you've made a point uh, to me before that God always actually punished and brought discipline to his people when they practiced polygamy. So he never affirmed it. In fact you go back to Genesis Jesus' point that marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, you see that in Genesis two. Jesus affirms it in the gospels and then you come to the New Testament and elders are to be men of one wife because this is this pictures what God has designed. Uh, Jesus has one bride. So marriage in scripture is always to be monogamous one man, one woman. And God, in some cases, allows polygamy, but he never approves it. And like you've said, I've heard you say before, not only that, but he actually disciplines his people for practicing polygamy.
1: Yeah, and Joseph Smith here in Doctrine and Covenants is commending Solomon for having all those wives. When actually Deuteronomy 18, Moses, or Deuteronomy 17 says this. Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, God said to Moses, In the future, when you have a king over Israel, this king shall not multiply wives for Mm -hmm. himself, Mm -hmm. or else his heart will turn away. So uh, God clearly prohibited polygamy and accumulation of wives. Once again, showing that Joseph Smith was wrong, he was a false prophet, and the holy scriptures of
0: Mormonism, they're not holy. They're erroneous. Exactly. And this goes back to something we said earlier, that this – That an ignorance of Scripture is what enables people to embrace this kind of teaching because knowledge of the narrative of Abraham, knowledge of what Scripture teaches about marriage and the beauty of it and the way it's supposed to be structured, what Scripture teaches about polygamy itself and the practice of it and what God taught Israel with regard to its kings. If you have knowledge of the Scripture in this way, then you hear Joseph Smith's teaching and you recognize immediately that it's wrong that it's sinful, that it's evil. And like you mentioned, that this is merely a justification for him to continue in his sinful practice of multiple wives and adultery. Yeah, Joseph Smith had over 40 wives.
1: Some of those, several, maybe two or three, were 14 years of age at the time. Mm-hmm. He was really a scoundrel if you study the history of yeah. Joseph Smith. He would be in jail. He'd yeah. be on Megan's list today Yes, as a, a just
0: a criminal and a, really a gross pervert. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's exactly – so we want to – In the next episode, we want to now take these topics that we've discussed, the theology of Mormonism, the state of Mormonism in relation to how it's engaging with evangelicalism and how evangelicals are engaging with Mormons. We want to take that plus the theology we just talked about and now help you to evangelize Mormons because likely either you've had a Mormon knock at your door or maybe you knew a Mormon at your work or you will in the future. Uh, It's probably going to happen if it hasn't already. And as a Christian, you need to know how to share the gospel with them effectively and what to talk about. So that's what we want to talk about in our next episode, how to evangelize Mormons in a way that is gracious, but truthful and effective. And until that time, I encourage you to check out withallwisdom.org, and I also encourage you to keep seeking the Lord and His Word.